0: Hello. Can I speak to Omarion? To how is this? Hey, how you doing? Uh, I feel kinda of silly too this, but um, this is the bush. this from the coffee house on MOK and Rose Park. You know, the one with the 4C natural. I see you on Thursdays all the time. You come in every Thursday on your lunch break, I think. And you always order the special with the organic time I take. My manager be trippin' and stuff. Talking about we gotta use water. But I always use some heads up for you. Cause I think you're kinda sweet.
1: Um... How did you get my number?
0: You always got on some fly blue tracks there. And your Air Force was shining all bright. Thanks. For real though. Who so is this? So uh... Look man. I mean, I don't want to waste your time, but I don't usually do this. And I was wondering if maybe we could get together outside the coffee shop one day. Because I do look a lot different outside of my work clothes. Okay. I mean, I got an art show coming up soon. Yeah, I'm an to maybe come out and support. Wait, hold up. My cell phone's breaking up. Hold up. Can you hear me now? Yeah, so what do you think? welcome to myself. uh who all gonna be
2: there hey y'all welcome to who all gonna be there a podcast by artists for artists we talk cash shit about everything sometimes we get messy and it all counts as art because we say so i'm mel i'm black and a woman and an artist uh this week i am on vacation from my 12 jobs because it's spring break and spring is sprung and I don't
1: feel like doing anything. Yo, what's up? I'm Maximiliano, um, Maxi Max, um, Marble Reconstructionist, and um, that's the only uh, title I'm gonna give myself this week. Those of you sitting at home wondering, asking yourselves um, how to support Nat Turner Project, you can subscribe uh, to be a Patreon of NTP. We have tons of great perks. Um, number one, of course, is supporting us. We have an exclusive Patreon-only podcast uh, episodes, and we have our now legendary Patreon exclusive long-running zine publication, Book of Sedition. NTP, we got an Etsy with all of our publications and our newest one, the Black Abbey Zine, um, based on our residency uh, at Albert Abbey, the Black Abbey, with uh, a Black art ecology of Portland. We have totes, buttons. We give out advice, etc. And now our buttons are also limited numbers, limited runs, limited editions, and future currency. Subscribe to us on iTunes and all streaming platforms. Follow us at Nat Turner Project on also the social media. If you've got a question or comment, want to confess your love of Melanie or me, email us at Zero at gmail.com because without the zero, it goes to some white lady on the East Coast. Word.
2: All right, so today we are chatting it up with Salamatu Amabhibe, uh with Black Feast. Um, and I'm going to read their bio um, before we get into the conversation. Black Feast is a culinary event celebrating Black artists and writers through food. Founded and directed by Salamatu Amabhibe in 2017, Black Feast was created as a way to not only make space at the table for Black artists, but to design a whole new table for us. With creative support from Anika Haskeen Azora, Black Feast is led by Black artists who believe in food and art as a site of possibility. Our events are a place where food celebrates Black art, Black stories, Black love, Black movement, and Black voices. About Salamatu, um, they are a Portland based chef, multimedia artist, and the founder director of Black Feast. Amabibu's work focuses on the intersection of food and art, drawing from family memories. Nigerian recipes and black culinary history. Welcome, thank you for um, chatting with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. And it's, it's definitely a pleasure to talk to you. Um, when Max told me that you said yes to chatting with us, I was super excited. Um, so, um, so we're gonna start off asking the question that we ask everyone um right now how are you and how are you dealing with all of this that has been 2020 to 2021 (laughs) yeah honestly that's a very good question uh i am i mean today i am doing pretty well today i'm doing pretty well i'm taking it one day at a time uh i think how i'm doing with all of this is um i don't know probably internally very poorly um but i think that uh just like the nature of the person that i am i tend to channel the hard feelings into work and try just to see what i can do and what i can create out of uh all of the feelings of sadness and frustration and anger. Um, so, I don't know. I think outwardly, probably I'm doing well with all of this. And inwardly, it's a, it's a garbage fire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, our last guest um, used a term that I felt was really relevant. Um, they said that they were pandemic good. Um, <laughs> I think that that pretty much sums it up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was a very good way of putting it. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. So you said you're channeling a, a lot of this through like your work. Um, I feel like one thing that's been consistent throughout all of these conversations that we've had in the last year or so are people, people are coming to grips with their complicated relationship to work in all of this. And I was, I'm wondering, like you're saying that you're channeling all of this through work, how has that sort of shifted or changed your relationship to work um, versus like rest um, during this time? Well, I think it's the, I think it's something that a lot of, I think a lot of black people and, you know, people of color are probably dealing with right now too, of like, just this feeling that you want to do something, you want to contribute, you want the world to feel like less like of a shitstorm. And so you're putting all this effort into that, but then like you, the black person, you, the brown person, doesn't get to receive any of that rest, doesn't get to receive any of that care. And um I think like many others, I'm aware of that contradiction and I'm aware that that is something that I am participating in and I'm trying really hard but it's like the conditioning of my entire lifetime and then you know my parents entire lifetime (laughs) so I think that you know it really runs deep that concept of you know our community is deserving of care but we as part of that community are exempt from that in some way. So I think that, you know, how I view work right now, I'm how I'm trying to view work at least is like viewing myself as part of the community that I'm trying to serve. And, uh, and that's a really difficult thing because I am constantly feeling really overwhelmed and like, just sad I'm feeling sad a lot (laughs) so um yeah I think that things I'm trying to slow down a little bit that's definitely a big part of it and trying to have honest conversations with myself about what I actually want to do and what I actually feel able to do and able to contribute but it's you know, every day it's like relearning the same lesson. <laughs> I think I get it one day, I'm like, I put up a boundary and I stuck <laughs> with it. I did it. I mastered boundaries. And then the next day I'm like, wait, I have to do this again? <laughs> but I did that. <laughs> I did the boundary. <laughs>
1: so um yes thank you thank you again for joining us today um yeah really curious to hear um all about all about you and the things you engage in um and i just yeah i just want to start um hearing a little bit about uh black feast and um like what is it and like how did it start and then also interested in um the pairing of food and literature and um like your ideas around that?
2: Yeah. Um, so the concept for Black Feastered, uh, I came up with in 2016, and then we, after some planning, held the first dinner in 2017. Um, and it was originally a way of just creating a space. You know, I was I was already working as a chef. Um, and I was already doing pop-up dinners that were primarily Nigerian, plant-based Nigerian food pop-ups. And I just wanted to create something like for my friends and for like my black and brown community here in Portland. And so, and also, you know, my background is in in art and film and multimedia art, and so I wanted to do something that also felt like it was bringing all of that into, you know, into the food world, and and so those things weren't going to be separate. And Blackfe started as, you know, celebrating works of art from artists. That were no longer living, and work that I felt that had maybe was not fully appreciated, uh, or was sort of buried in history in some way, and that felt like very much should be a part of the you know, the canon of black art, and um, and also it was uh, like a challenge for me. To you know after being out of school for you know several years of being able to really go into that research mode and find out about the life of someone and their work and you know kind of the context in which they were making that work and that you know that research process is you know something that feels really... Um, really important to do outside of institutions, especially white institutions. And so there were all of these aspects of it that I, um, that kind of came together to make it happen. And so those were the first dinners. Uh, The first one was Audrey Lord's Sister Outsider, um, who did Nina Simone's album, Enough Said, And then in, I think it was 2019, I met my friend Anka Hanstein-Aizora and they are a artist and a poet. And so they joined the team and we started, you know, having just a little more, like more people on the team and more people who were excited about it, made it possible to start talking with artists who were currently making work and talk to, you know, black artists in Portland. And that was really exciting because then those artists were able to perform or show their work in some way. And the way that we did it was uh, I would pick four pieces that the featured artist had made and then I would create four courses that I felt were in some way a culinary interpretation of that artist's work and so in that way when people came to the came to the dinners there it was this multi-sensory experience of you know consuming and participating and trying to um, understand and talk about uh, that artist's work yeah. um.
1: Where would you, uh, like, where would, where do you hold the pop-ups? Are they, like, always in different spaces, or do you have, like, certain spaces?
2: They, um, they're typically in different spaces. We, when we first started, I was working out of, I don't know if you know this Feastly space. It used to be Feastly, which was a space that was dedicated just for independent chefs like myself to be able to host dinners, and so... Uh, I was able to use that space until their business stopped existing (laughs) Um, and then after that it was a little bit of a struggle to um, to find spaces but we always seem to find them Uh, but we have done them out on a farm in southeast Portland we did an outside dinner we did it at uh, Yale Union, and um, I don't know, many other places, and we did some in New York and the East Bay. So, yeah, we kind of did them all over, and right now, over the summer, we were doing Love Letters out of Sweetie D um, in North Portland. And most recently, we've been hosting Love Letters out of a spot in East Bay, California. And and for those who don't know, can you talk a little bit about the Love Letters project? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with Black Peace, it's even for one event, one dinner, a lot goes into it. There are months of planning and so, just the it's just not feasible for us to be able to host the event. Um, it's barely feasible for us to host it on a monthly basis, and definitely not more than that and just you know last year, especially wanting to provide more support to black community um, felt it felt like we wanted to do something more often, and so Annika is based in New York and I was doing an artist residency in Berkeley so we were talking about how we could collaborate on something you know over the distance and so as a poet Annika wrote these love letters uh love letters to black folks and so and then I created a dessert and we offered it just free of charge for whoever signed up and so we were doing that once a week, and we did that for five weeks in Berkeley, and then we came to Portland to do it for five, actually I think six weeks, uh, in Portland. And so as you know, as the project got bigger, you know we were doing like between one and two hundred desserts. Um, every weekend. So I got burnt out from that quickly. (laughs) So after 10 weeks, I was pretty exhausted. But I, um, yeah, we started also offering, we got a lot of flower donations. And so we were able to offer, you know, bouquets as well as desserts and love letters. And then we were able to start doing care packages um so yeah it kind of built from there and um we did the last one was on valentine's day and so now we're not doing it every week just because it's a lot i couldn't do anything else <laughs> at the time i wasn't doing anything else so it was fine but we are doing it now uh kind of like quarterly along with we try to do a Black Beast event once a month, and so sometimes it's you know a Black Beast takeout dinner, and then sometimes it's love letters. But I'm trying to you know keep it on a regular basis. Has has that um, mission changed with COVID, or have you found you've been able to kind of like adjust to the circumstances? I mean, it's it's definitely different because before we were we were doing dinners for typically about fifty people, and you know doing a fifty-person dinner, four courses, um, and trying to find the space for that, and trying to find the space for that at low enough cost that we can also offer our tickets sliding scale um, is a lot, and but also. At the end, you get to have this amazing meal and see everyone all in one space. And you know the featured artist is there and also gets to experience that. And so a lot, it feels like there's a lot that's lost with not being able to all gather in one space. At the same time, we would never have been able to do like serve food to 200 people every weekend if like if it were a sit-down dinner so in some ways we get to we get to do those higher numbers um and we get to reach more people every week um when we do takeout events so and I don't know that we would have thought to do that if we hadn't had that restriction, (laughs) we hadn't had had to do that. Um, So that has definitely changed. And um, I I look forward to being able to do sit down dinners again. But also I think that, um, I think it's really nice to be able to do takeout as well. And I think the other part of that has been, before we were doing sliding scale so the way that our pricing worked was that if you're white you pay a ticket price for four course dinner um and then black and brown folks can pay sliding scale and that made it so that basically we could cover our costs. We could cover our costs, we could pay our staff, we could do that, you know. And then last year I just was like, I just need this shit to be free for black people. Like I just need to make this just needs to be free at this point. Like why are black people paying for anything? So (laughs) I so I made it free and and you know there's the week that everyone who was already out here, I mean, even people who weren't, even black people who were just like sitting at home, minding their own business and weren't like trying to do a thing. were getting their Venmos like hit up. And so being, you know, a a collective and organization that is like already, we're already out in these streets. You know? And so, so we got like, enough money to be able to just host free events and at the time it felt like oh we can just do this we can just like there's this money that people want to donate to us so that we can host these events um and then this process of understanding that that doesn't last it doesn't last on know. The moment of of guilt, of white guilt, of being like, I gotta do something. Let me like throw some money at this like problem, so I can so I can feel better. And that is, I think, I mean, this is a, a sort of a side note, but something that I talked to Anika, my collaborator, about is just like the trauma of watching white people like care or pretend to care about racism and then go back to not caring is way worse like way (laughs) worse than if they just hadn't cared to begin with and so i think also seeing financially what that looks like seeing this huge spike and being able to um really have the freedom to offer something for free and feel um like we could do that for a while and then have that while be up it sucks (laughs) it sucks so that's where we're at now is that the while is up we still want to offer shit for free for black people um so it's uh you know it's like the process of just getting more funding um and reminding people that we're still out here and that we're still existing and we're still trying to do the same shit that we've been trying to do since the day we started hosting meals.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I'm curious a little bit um, about how, uh, like maybe like some of the conversations go at uh, like the Black Feast, at the events. if you do have, like, black and brown people and then, like, white people there, um, does it ever, like, do you ever have to, like, regulate the conversation? Does the conversation always just, like, have, like, positive, um, like, tones throughout it? Is it, uh, does it ever get, like, um, it just seems like, I was, I'm just curious about, like, also, like, having, like, I guess, like, white people be a part of these things, um, how that, uh, how that uh, interaction exists with it.
2: Yeah, I think that most of the time I am, I mean, all of the time the, during the dinners, I'm like in the weeds in the kitchen, so I am not the best <laughs> the best source of information. But post, um, post, you know, working in the kitchen, I, what I heard from people and what I've heard from white people, is that they have felt like they needed to tread really lightly in that space. And I think that, you know, that's a feeling of discomfort of knowing that you're in a space that is really not for you, um, but that you are allowed to be in. And I think that, you know, I've said this before, I'm not interested in offering white people an opportunity to cosplay like what it is to um, to be black or what it is to feel um, you know that something is not for you but also I do think that that experience of feeling uncomfortable in a space and also choosing to participate in, in that event and choosing to be there and knowing that you're not the center of this dinner in any way is, a, is an important thing for uh, for white people to experience and recognize. And, and I think that it's still a beautiful event. There's nothing that's like combative about it. It doesn't feel, um, uh, I, I don't know, I think that it has always been really beautiful for me and I, I've never had to break up any fights. Um, you mentioned funding earlier, um, and you also mentioned that you, you have a background in film and, um, and you're a multimedia artist. And as a fellow multimedia artist, I do think it's interesting this kind of siphoning or separation of different kinds of mediums and different kinds of art, which makes me curious about how culinary art is received, particularly in Portland, and what and whether or not you think that contributes to like a difficulty in funding for that. Hmm. Yeah, I I don't know how it's received in Portland. I feel like Um, it seems like in the past five years, I've seen so much more, you know, so many more people who describe what they do as a combination of food and art. But, you know, at the time that I came to Portland to start doing this, uh, I did not know anyone else. You know, I knew a few people who I had done a residency with and, um, who also sort of like chefs and artists in some capacity. But yeah, I felt very, very like alone in that career path and like, will anyone get this? Is anyone going to want to pay a lot of money to come to one of these <laughs> meals? Um, so I don't. it does feel, it still feels pretty new. Um, And, you know, I think that where I was at, you know, at the beginning of starting Black Feast and where I am now just in terms of like how I view food and art and that kind of, that intersection is really different. And I used to think that in order to, you know, in order to get the funding that we needed, it really needed to be sort of this like elevated food it needed to look like, you know, tweezed everything like <laughs> tiny tiny bites on a giant plate. And and then recognizing how that's, you know, that's not how I grew up eating. And that's not how that's not how Nigerian food looks. And I thought more about, you know, what feels um, authentic to, to me and to like my own lineage and my own roots. Um, so I don't know, I'm getting off track at this point, but, (laughs) but yeah, I, I mean, I think the answer to your question is that I don't really know. I don't know, um, how uh, culinary art is really viewed anywhere. Um, but I definitely think that because it's it feels newer and it, like the popularity of it feels newer, that um, it is hard, it's hard to, it's hard to get funding for that because it's, you know, restaurants kind of exist in a, in a completely different sphere than, you know, visual art or, multimedia art and
0: um
1: yeah <laughs> you kinda of touched on this a little bit but I'm interested um if you could talk a little bit about like your uh your cooking background or your like history with cooking like um how you came to food, uh where your like passionate for food um came from and what made you start like cooking and all like all that.
2: Yeah. Um I grew up cooking. Um, my mom and my dad were both uh, very good cooks and very different cooks. Um, and I kind of came into the restaurant world just through necessity. And I graduated from college uh, pretty young and I needed a job immediately <laughs> and I got a job at a restaurant where my brother was a server and so I you know managed to get a job as a line cook and said that I had experience because not have no line I had no experience but you have to have experience to get experience <laughs> so I um Yeah, I worked at a restaurant and I really did not like it at all and I got yelled at a lot (laughs) and I would come home from work every day and cry and I had no interest in staying in that world at all. And when I was 19, I moved to New York to work at an art gallery I did that, and I didn't like that, (laughs) and then I went back into working in the kitchen because I needed a job after that, and so I kind of, you know, was moving back and forth between food world and art world, and I eventually realized that I was, like, pretty good at food world, and that I actually really liked it when I didn't have, like, a white man yelling at me um, for 10 hours. So, uh, so I kept doing it and um, I studied at a residency in Berlin that was, it was a residency that combined food, art, and ecology. And I got to be around other people who were doing some you know, collaboration between food and art. And that was really, really exciting. So when I came back to the States, and when I came to Portland, I was really ready to go and just had this new energy for for making food, because it, it felt like it was no longer something that I had to do in order to make art, you know, something that I had to do in order to support me and so that I could see the artist that I wanted to be but it was this way of having the way that I made money also be the thing that I was really passionate about and being able to kind of tie my own artistic practice in with um you know making food for people um, and you, what is your art's origin story? Like, how did you get into art in general? Um, on, I'm gonna open my computer real quick. How did I get into art in general? Ooh, uh, I don't know, My my mom is a... I don't think that she would describe herself as an artist, but she is an incredible artist and she can make anything flawlessly. Uh, <laughs> and so she really, you know, I was, um, I have three siblings and we were all homeschooled for a while. And so we had a lot of time at home to just like create things. And my mom was always, you know, really supportive of us making things and learning how to make things with our hands. Um, and my dad was a math and science teacher, and he's Nigerian, and he liked to try and get me to study the art of science, as he put it, the art of math. <laughs> So uh, it was like a bit of a coming out process when I told him that I was going to study art in school, but that was, um, yeah, it was something that I have, you know, um, it was something that I have done, I don't know, just has been a part of my upbringing. And I studied film and photography in school. Um, I've just been making art my whole life. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I had a better origin story. Like one day, all happens.
1: (laughs) And so, um, before you started doing uh, Blackfeast, you uh, were or had been doing. Sorry, something fell over there. Um, You had been doing um, vegan uh, Nigerian Um, Mm pop-ups. I was wondering if you could talk a little little bit about those and also if it's something that you're still doing.
2: Yeah. um, I started... So the vegan Nigerian pop-ups that I did, I was working at this job that was not paying me enough to survive and so I was like I want to start like I want to do some of my own cooking stuff and so I started doing I was like I'm gonna host a dinner and I don't even know what I was cooking I was like just like made up a menu like a plant-based menu And I was just going to have it at my house and like 10 people showed up and it was cute and we had like a little dinner. And then the next one that I did, I had never really thought about cooking the food that I grew up eating for other people other than close friends once in a while. And so I decided to host a vegan Nigerian pop-up and I maybe not the wisest move but I just like put my address on there because I was like oh like the last time only like 10 people showed up they'll be fine and I think like 45 people showed up at my house and <laughs> at the time my you know my housemates were servers and so they would be like the table by the door. And I was like, there is no table by the door. Like people were like sitting underneath like the piano, like, like nook. And it was complete chaos. But everyone had a great time. People were so happy. And so I was hosting those for a while, uh, every two weeks. And it was just really fun. It was fun to be able to do it out of my house. It was really cool to have our, you know, the house that I had with these roommates to sort of morph into this restaurant every couple of weeks. Um, and then when I was able to actually, you know, like cook out of a commercial kitchen, (laughs) that, uh, that was like a lot better. And, Although I really do miss, I miss hosting the dinners at my house. It was really fun. Um, So I started having, you know, larger dinners at an actual restaurant space. And, um, you know, just like cooking a variety of Nigerian recipes. I don't actually know that many Nigerian recipes because the things that my dad cooked are specific to the very small area that he's from and so Nigerian food is is quite different depending on whether you're from the north or the south and um so that also required some research and learning how to cook things that you know were from my dad's region but not things that I was very familiar with or that I hadn't cooked before I still would like to host them I just have I have probably at least 12 projects on my plate right now so uh but it's a good reminder maybe I'll host one like in a couple weeks I don't know um and in terms of like Black Feast I'm curious about the kind of like aesthetic and artistic choices you make with the meals. Um, and the, if you have like a set of rules or like a rubric that you've cr- like created for yourself. And you don't have to give us all the details. I know some of it is just for you, but I'm just curious, like if you could, you know, talk a little bit about that, like how you make these choices. Yeah, I think You know, um, I think the aesthetic choices come last for me, which is probably different than a lot of what would be considered fine dining. Um, And I think that for me, it really, really has to taste good. It has to taste amazing. And that's what I want, is for something to be unusual and, you know, a new flavor or something that feels really nostalgic to people. And it kind of just depends on what I'm making. But in terms of that, you know, that process of creating this culinary interpretation, that I think is the most... um, vague and spiritual (laughs) process it's very hard to I mean I think it's sort of like this game of free association you know where you're listening to a song and there are so many different ways to go about it you can look at the lyrics of the song and really analyze like what is being said and what's being conveyed and then think about you know are you are we talking about anger? And so if you're talking about anger then like, what does that like taste like? And then but then there also might be this part of the, the history that I think is really important. Like this song was made um, was right after this like event you know um, like we did Nina Simone's album "Enough Said," and so there is one course that's um, the song "Why," you know, about the death of Martin Luther King Jr. And um, and so that's like for that, it's about you know using flavors like from like Southern flavors. Um, because of, you know, where MLK was from. And and so thinking about, like, what grows there, um, what is, you know, and also what's happening in this song, just, like, thematically. And then I, there there are so many aspects to that. So I think it's kind of like picking, picking, different aspects and kind of going deeper into them. And, um, and well, maybe that sounds like nonsense, but it is, uh, it is art. What can I say? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, to, to follow up on that, is there ever like, um, a time where like the same food or the same dish has been like used for two different things like does like a specific song and then maybe like somebody else's like essay is like oh this is like the same dish um that's like the first part of my question and then um you kind of you spoke on this about like what tastes angry and then I was wondering um yeah, like, is is certain food sad? Is, like, certain food sadder than, like, other food? And then, because when I think about food, I, it's, like, hard for me to, like, think about it in a negative way, like, food being sad. Or, like, all, all food is, like, happy, right? Um, but, yeah, is there, like, sad food or, like, these other emotions? And then, um, but, yeah, if the, if the same dish um, ever fits the same thing more than once.
2: Yeah. Um, I... I don't like repeating things. So there might be a flavor that is similar. Like I might use the same ingredient for something, but everything, if there are any repetitions, it's very much accidental. I don't, I don't, I honestly don't remember anything that I've made, (laughs) to be quite honest. I do not have an archive. Like, the only way I know is when I look at past menus, and I'm like, oh, damn, that sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't remember the things that I made, which is, makes it easy to then just create something new every time. Um, and, yeah, are there sad foods? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. But I think that um, it's not, it's also not all about flavor, you know, something that's, like, if I'm thinking about anger in a poem or something, I might want to make something that cracks, you know, or I might want to make something that is, um, like uh that there's something like bitter or something like that I don't, I don't know it's hard to say but or maybe like then meal is something that's like comforting to grief. you know and and I think that I've done that before where I did an interpretation of um, a raisin in the sun was just one was one of my favorites. I absolutely love that play, and a lot of it was really about like comfort. Like if I were to make a meal for each of these characters, you know, I think I picked four characters in the play, and like what I wanted to give them, you know, like what I wanted them, what I think that their meal would be you know, if they were consuming something in this, you know, in this, um, in this play, like I think that, so it's different every time. (laughs) Can you, can you, that's fascinating, Raising the Sun, because that's, that is a work that still stays with me for obvious reasons so I'm curious like what was one of the characters that you chose and like what was the meal that that kind of represented them I don't know I don't even remember what I ate yesterday (laughs) that's that's fair I'm sorry but I it's somewhere it's it's somewhere on the internet I'll find it I'll let you know Okay. (laughs) you can add a thing at the end (laughs) revealed um and okay so going back to one of the things that you said about when max brought up with one of his questions about how um it is you've created these spaces that prioritize black and brown people um but all are welcome um i'm just wondering how this registers for you as like the creator of this space because like Raisin in the Sun, Nina Simone, these are very specific charged references, right? So you have audiences that come in sort of knowing it and kind of getting and understanding it, but then you have parts of, the, of your audience that have no idea really what's going on. And I'm just, I'm, I'm curious, like how does that register with you as the artist of, and the creator of these moments? I guess the hope for me is that, you know, if you're going to a dinner that is about a Raisin in the Sun, that you will read a Raisin in the Sun. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is my hope, you know. My hope is that it is an opportunity for people to engage in something that I feel is like essential reading. Like, I really think that that is essential reading. And I, so, you know, I, you can't, you can't force anyone to do something that they don't want to do. And at the end of the day, if white people want to pay, you know, X amount of dollars to come to a meal, um, and they haven't read A Raisin in the Sun and they're not going to. I mean, I can't do very much about that, but I feel like I have set up all of the things to make it very encouraging and enticing for them to read A Raisin in the Sun. (laughs) Um, So I, you know, And things things change over time, you know, that was a model that felt necessary for me at the time being like a broke chef who was trying to figure out how do I do this without any funding? Mm -hmm. And in an ideal world, I would like to do more things that are just for black people and that are completely free and that are funded. That's the goal, you know? And um, having been in that space for the past year and and doing that for the past year has been incredible and, um, and it's been really hard work and I hope that we can continue to do that and you know, I do want to host events that are for everyone, but I specifically, you know, the goal of Black Feast is really about supporting and nourishing Black community. And the more that we can do that, the better and the happier I will be.
1: Um, kind of along those lines, earlier you are talking about like how Um, you're mostly like cooking in the kitchen and like you miss like most of like the conversation like that goes on um is it like for the different yeah like subjects is it um it's like the conversation like self-directed is like somebody leading the conversation um or is it just like oh this is the subject and um as people are like eating and stuff like they can engage with it like however they want to um or yeah just like curious about that
2: yeah, I think there's a lot of freedom to engage how you how you want to, and um, there with every meal you know, we also create a zine, and the zine has excerpts from the you know from the text that we're looking at, or you know images from the you know, the visual art that we're looking at. And so there's a lot of space to also just like sit with yourself. And you know, you can come by yourself and you will still like be able to like have an experience at, like with that meal and also be able to engage with you know whatever the art is simultaneously. And I think that you know I've seen a lot of people come by themselves and have like really beautiful experiences by themselves and so I I think that um I don't I don't really want to hold anyone's hand through like talking about you know talking about race I think that you know people will choose to engage like at you know their own will and that seems important to like let that happen and to and to for me as someone who's helping to create that space just providing like the care and the nourishment for people um yeah that's that's like the biggest thing for me And um, you've kind of alluded to this, but like, what are your like long term goals for Black Feast? Long term goals are <laughs> um, that it gets bigger and that it has more funding, and that there we have an actual space. And that I build something that I can give to someone who is, um, smarter and, <laughs> and um, you know, and wants to do this kind of work and is like yeah i i I think that building something like for others to be able to take over at some point you know i'm not interested in creating something that's for me Mm -hmm. Um, i'm interested in creating something that can stand on its own and have people you know have black artists come in and out of that and you know and carry it on as you know as an organization um so you know having having a physical space to have artist residencies and to have a place where folks can come and eat on a regular basis and we're not having to Write any checks to white people to use their event space that's a big one. Um, that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of the long term goal.
1: So, yeah, with you saying that you like eventually c- could see yourself like handing it over to somebody else, does that mean, um, you have like other like projects and stuff you want to work on that may not be like food based or like these other like um ideas or areas you think your like life? Um, could take you in or focus on?
2: I mean, it's not so much about me. I mean, yes, yes, absolutely. But it's also not so much about me having other things that I want to do. I will always be doing this work in some capacity for the rest of my life, whether that happens within Black Beast or outside of Black Beast. But I really believe in creating something that... um Is not reliant on me to exist. I think that that's really important because I don't want Black peace to be something that exists because of like my personality or because of, you know, just the person that I am in any way. But it is really about the fact that spaces need to exist that center Black folks and that represent. like and that really offer something that is affordable like and not like affordable uh, like TM like affordable <laughs> like like the idea affordable the concept like affordable the reality like really takes into account um like the individual capacity to afford um so that that's important to me. And then also, yes, like there are other ways that I would like to express myself. Um and that I do express myself, but I don't I don't think that, you know, any time at any point if and when I leave Black Beast, it won't be because I like want to do other things necessarily so much as because I want other people to have the opportunity to really lead and be in charge of like something that I think is really important. So it sounds like from what you're saying, like you're not so much interested in Black beast kind of maintaining or being dependent on your specific vision of it, but more so being this sort of flexible space that is sort of like, like tenure, depending on the person who's running it at that time. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I know, there are a lot of talented Black chefs in the world, and there are a lot of talented Black artists, and I, um, I, I'm not the only one who could run this. <laughs> I'm cool, but I'm not that cool. <laughs>
1: Um, I was also wondering, like, when you talk about like eventually wanting to have like a space, um, and then thinking about like all the the things that like happen at a, like a black feast. Um, so would this space be like? It would be like a restaurant. It'd be like a space that would um, be able to have like other types of events as well, or like what kind of space? I guess we do you envision?
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, we were looking at spaces that are residential above and like storefront commercial below. So it could, you know, we could use the kitchen as a restaurant space and have a cafe. And then the above space could like also host the restaurant scene, we could have like a backyard area. So we were looking at spaces like that, just that we were dreaming about.
1: Um yeah. Cuz I also think um that's interesting like how you're talking about um hosting events like out of your house and like missing that but then like um it being feasible with uh cuz with Nat Turner project we started um we just started exhibiting in like our bathroom and so like sometimes we still think that was like um some of like the most fun times we have had and like some of the most like um on un- like I, don't, I was unstructured like where we were able to play like the most by our own rules and we like do try to like re um like re-harness that energy from time to time or like try to like reconnect with that I was just yeah just interested in thinking about like um if you try to like uh like remember the house that house energy domestic space
2: yeah i i love the house energy i love um I just love when there are a lot of people coming in and out of a space. That's that's kind of how I grew up, and I feel like that is the most cozy to me. Um, and yeah, I think the idea of having a space, whatever it looks like, is really just to feel rooted in some place and know that like people can know that we're there and come, you know, coming in. And come in and out of that space. And that feels really important to have. I'm I'm also really like curious about, you mentioned that there's a zine component, like there were zines that were also a part of this. Um, And I guess my first question is, are those zines, are any of those zines still available? Like, can they be found somewhere? And then also, are you interested in like, Um, this experience having some sort of remnant or ephemera um, or document attached to it or is it meant to be just something that you experience if you're there and if you're not, you just don't? Yeah, I, um, well, I'm currently, currently I'm working on a cookbook, which is a, you know, a collection of, you know, just featuring different artists and then creating their work and then creating a recipe around it. And so that feels, you know, some of them are artists that we have featured already at Black dinners, and some of them are new artists. Um, And so that's kind of in in like the very early stages right now. And so very much though, I believe in, in the power of the archive so yes i do have a lot of zines just in my personal archive and i am happy to give them to whoever wants them uh i um i like to just like keep some of everything um but yeah i think it's important to document and to archive these events and you know we usually have photographs from the events and I am working on getting those all into one place hopefully on our website so people can go through and kind of look at past dinners and watch how they you know how they have changed over time
0: and yeah
1: What are um what are your, some of your favorite uh, places to eat or like get food at in Portland?
2: Um, Akadi is my favorite. They're currently closed until June, um, which is I did, I did not know. know that. Wow. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I love their food and Los gorditos. And- I just the best tacos I ate there today. Um Those are yeah, I think like those are my favorites. I'm sure there are others, um, but I can't think of some at the moment.
1: Yeah, no, I definitely get down on those that's for sure. <laughs> that's the spot.
2: Do you feel that you've you've mentioned a little bit this kind of this sort of changes that have happened since the the inception of Black Feast and what it is now. So, I'm wondering like, what, what is the biggest change that has happened um, between these two time periods for you for Black Feast? I mean, the biggest change has been the COVID pandemic. <laughs> I mean, that's an easy answer, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, that's the biggest change is because we have to uproot our entire model and, you know, figure out how do you do something that is so much about looking around the room and seeing all of these other Black people in your community and, like, experiencing this meal together and, how do you change that and it holds like the, you know, the strength of that when people are just coming to pick up a meal and then leave. And like, I think a big part of that is just putting a lot of care and intention into every aspect that, you know, that you can produce and that you can give to people. And so I think that that has changed a lot and, um, and I definitely, I definitely miss getting to, getting to cook for everyone in one space, but you know, maybe someday. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that that's the biggest change, but also I think, you know, I, I said this before, but I think I've also had a lot of changes and a lot of, you know, feelings of, disenchantment around how I view you know culinary experiences and and really trying to be more um I guess trying to make something that feels like truly nourishing and part of that is moving away from aesthetic and more towards really focusing on my craft as as a chef in in making things like taste amazing and put a lot of care into the food and you know like I am I, I think that sadly I'm like a person who will just never be satisfied with their own work and I um, constantly want to improve as a chef and so I think that that desire to improve is just you know it means that I am always learning from my mistakes and I'm always trying to do it better the next time so there. It's definitely changed a lot in that way. I think, (laughs) you know, it keeps getting better and I keep not being satisfied. (laughs)
0: Um,
2: And I guess my final question, I guess, would be, do you have any words of wisdom or advice to up-and-coming folks who would want to kind of get into this kind of work? Like, where would they start with something like this? Um, yeah, for independent chefs, specifically, yeah, independent chefs, artists, I would say, yeah, start small. Start with what you can do and build it from there. And, um, And also, like, as like black and brown people we think we have constantly made work and made art and food outside of the institutions outside of the like you know legally (laughs) the spaces that we can legally operate out of and just fucking embrace that because there is some deep conditioning around thinking that the thing you're doing is only legitimate if you're out of like this restaurant kitchen or if you have like these fancy table settings or whatever but you know the best food is made in like a home kitchen and you can do a lot out of like your own kitchen you can do a lot out of you know a friend's house or a backyard. And if you're making something with, you know, with a lot of heart in it and you are good at what you do, like your community is gonna come out to support you. And you know, black and brown people, we've been at the forefront of everything from day one. So it doesn't doesn't matter. You don't have to like try to fit into like a white person's idea of what is legitimate, you know? We get to decide what's legitimate. And so, you know, make your food, make it out of wherever you have access to, ask people, be like, hey, can I use your kitchen to do this thing? And they might say yes, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it can be hard, but I think that it is getting, I don't know. Maybe it's getting better. <laughs> sorry, that was so dark. <laughs> and we're gonna end on that that <laughs> tiny shred of hope. Like, <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> um, it's sometimes it is getting better, and then sometimes it's not. But then it'll get better but it's not that's, that's the one that's, the, that's your sound bite right there
1: <laughs>
2: got it nailed it <laughs> well alright so now it's time for the segment today we just have one segment just the facts with Max
1: <laughs> wait for the second half um, yes, now it's time for Just the Facts with Max.
0: I'm stating facts, 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 facts,
1: facts. During the U.S. Civil War, more than 178,000 black soldiers served across 175 regiments, making up 10% of the Union Army's soldiers and representing the key to the Union's victory.
0: I'm stating facts, facts, facts,
2: facts, facts. Okay, so now it is time for our parting words um, as we close out. Um, Max, we'll start with you. What are your parting words?
1: Um, parting words are, um, everybody say COVID safe. I know we're all Biden, um, Biden at the bit. Is that the expression, Biden at the bit? Chomping um, at the bit. Chomping at the bit. Biden at the nail beds um, to, to be COVID free. Um, say COVID safe. Um, yeah, thank you Salamatu for being here. Thanks for being a part of who all going to be there. Um it's been fun it's been fun talking to you. It's been fun getting to know more about you, more about Black Feast, um and everything else and um what else? Um big things are coming 2021 NTP. Um everybody be good. Um I don't know what other taglines I can use. Um Stay safe, y'all. Keep it easy. Um, be well. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to
2: stop. Okay. Stop <laughs> <laughs> um, I would like to thank Salamatu for joining us and talking about um, for their work and the food um, and just hearing about Black Beast and food as art um, is just fascinating to me um, because... I know so little about it in general. So it was just kind of illuminating to hear your thought process and what goes into this kind of work, which sounds not easy at all. Like, just like the numbers that you were throwing out are just, I I shudder to think about I, I I still don't know if I grasp exactly how you managed to do all of this, um, but um, it's thoroughly like, fascinating and impressive and just thank you for sharing with us and being so generous with your time um and then like in the spirit of that I guess my parting words are food is love um, and then we'll leave you to the last word as is our custom um, so. <laughs> wow that's a uh, wow a lot of pressure <laughs> um no thank you so much for having me this has been really nice and it's been wonderful to uh, get new questions about you know this my own process and about black beast and it really helps me to like think back and reflect on all of the all of the years that we put into it um uh, it's really cool
0: and
2: i guess that my parting words would be uh, Salt is very important. It's very important to put salt on your food. And if it's good salt, then don't even worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, so you can stop recording that.
1: Bye, y'all. We didn't do the bye. Bye.
2: Oh, we had to do bye-all? Okay. Good night, y'all.
1: Good night, y'all. <laughs>
2: you can string that together later.
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs>